Hello, and welcome to Lines from Loganberry, the official Loganberry Books podcast series. We are a local indie bookshop located in the historic Larchmere neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio. With this podcast, we hope to stay connected to you as we weather the coronavirus storm together. Every week, we will help you discover new books, rave about our latest favorite reads, reveal niche stories about Loganberry, link you to local authors, ask some interesting questions about the literary world, and check in with our friendly bookstar cat, Otis. Join our listener support program, where you can donate as little as 99 cents a month, less than $12 a year, to help keep this podcast going. Go to our website, loganberrybooks.com, and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts, all at Loganberry Books, to stay up to date and to find out how to best support us during these ever-shifting times. Thank you for listening and enjoy. The Intellect and Inspiration Local Voices series seeks to engage and motivate the listener during these challenging times through the thought-provoking work of a local author. This week, Local Voices Manager Maisha Hedden interviews Dr. Ankur Kalra. I'm an interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I also have a faculty appointment at the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine and um, adjunct professorship of internal medicine at uh, Northeastern Ohio Medical University. I work primarily at Akron General Medical Center, so that's the regional hospital for Cleveland Clinic, uh, where I do cases in the cath lab. So it's uh, taking care of patients who are having a heart attack. I also do some valve work, you know, wherein patients who have uh, valves that are not opening as well as they should, you know, we use our um, hand skills, so wire and catheter skills to replace those valves. I also am an avid uh, clinical researcher, so my interest is, um, you know, health policy and health economics, and I do outcomes research, and, um, you know, have been quite intimately involved with the Cleveland Clinic's COVID-19 registry. They discuss broken heart syndrome, spirituality and transcendence, how his job as a physician has impacted his poetry, and his future writerly aspirations. And I always wanted to do fiction writing. Um, It's something that I always wanted to pursue uh, for the longest time that I can remember. He'll also read some of his work. Kalra's poetry collection can be purchased at store.loganberrybooks.com with specific links in the description below. You know, I was listening to your podcast, and so I kind of a little bit before got a feel for your professional life, even though having you explain it now makes me get it a lot better. And I know that in your podcast, you discuss a lot of global issues. Like, I know that you have people that you interview from all over the world. I listened to the doctor you had on from China who was discussing the, the initial COVID-19 outbreak. Um, you talk about uh, diversity and inclusion inside of your field of cardiology. Um, you had an amazing interview about healthcare disparities with those um, uh, three female doctors who work for the campaign against racism. Um, and you're concerned about representation in your uh, profession. So. I'd like to know, like, why do you, why do you care? Like, why do you, why do you take up those topics? Like, why do you, why do you dig into outcomes research? Like, what makes you tick in that way? Um, I think, so, you know, first of all, uh, you know, is something that interests me. And I I think that interest, um, I think, you know, your interests are, are twofold. You know, one is just the inherent intrinsic 
interest that uh, you know generates uh, when uh, you read someone's work and you know you're like uh, you know I want to do similar work or I want to work in the similar space and and want to generate new knowledge in that sphere because it's not only interesting it also is impactful uh, because it, it sort of gives you um, the the foundation or the bedrock on which you can build new systems. Uh, you can operationalize healthcare in new ways, uh, in ways which are more impactful, more resource constrained, uh, and not as much resource wasteful. You know, there's a lot of waste in healthcare in the United States. Um, and that are more just that penetrate all spectra of life, uh, cultures, creeds, uh, you know, sex, gender, what have you. Um, so I think, you know, for me, uh, that interest was inherent. You know, when I started reading papers that were being published on uh, areas of outcomes research. And, and then when I was training in, in Boston at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Harvard Medical School, um, one of my attendings who I, I, I want to emulate, I, I don't know if I ever will be able to, uh, to do the kind of work that he's been able to do at, at, such, at such a young age uh, and ha has had an, an, an enormous impact on, on the field. I think the field of outcomes research, uh, you know, whether it pertains to cardiovascular medicine, cardiology, or you know, just broadly. Um, and I'm talking about uh, Bobby Ye, Dr. Ye. He's uh, an interventionalist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, and I believe now an endowed professor at Harvard Medical School. So, you know, I, I, you know the way he um, approached uh, research questions and the way he approached patient care in the cath lab, and, you know, just uh, I think his approach to balancing clinical research and clinical medicine is something that I, I want to emulate um, and, and do the kind of work that I want to do. So I think, uh, uh, when I decided that I wanted to pursue uh, outcomes research, uh, you know, uh, the inherent interest and in, in my introduction to Bobby A, I think sort of happened simultaneously. So I think from, from then on end, uh, I just, um, you know, was, was committed to uh, developing my portfolio in this sphere, if that makes sense. It does make sense to me. So this Dr. Bobby A, and you know our series is called Intellect Inspiration. Um, that's exactly what he was to you. He was an inspiration, and you were inspired by his intellect. I have to admit that I'm incredibly fascinated about um, having a person of your caliber working in Akron, which is one of the poorest cities in the state of Ohio. So, kind of, you have this sort of intersection going on right there with outcomes and poverty. I would imagine. Yes, um, you know, I uh, did not foresee that I would work, um, you know, at, at Akron. Uh, I mean, I, I've had, a, I've been here for over a year now and, you know, my, my journey, uh, my professional journey uh, at Akron has been very fulfilling. Um, you know, I, I was, um, when I came to Cleveland, I was with uh, university hospitals and after about a year, um, I had an opportunity to, to transition um, working with the Cleveland Clinic Health System. And I, uh, you know, the opportunity presented itself in a way that they were looking for someone with my skill set. 
And um, I think what was exciting about the opportunity was the ability to develop um, a section of cardiovascular research, actually even clinic Akron General, which was, was non-existential at the time that I started, uh, actually even clinic Akron General. Um, so that, that was formally announced at the beginning of 2020. And I'm the, I'm the section head of that particular service line or section, if you may, um, at, for our heart, vascular, and thoracic department at Cleveland Clinic Akron General. Mm-hmm. So my role has been, has been to, uh, you know, to nurture partnerships between main campus and Akron General. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, sort of uh, be uh, a breeding ground of, uh, of thought-provoking ideas and, and research questions and, and pilot studies, um, which would then spin off to be you know, grounds for larger studies uh, for clinical investigation in the same, in the same field or in the, uh, you know, addressing same topics. Um, you know, so that, the, the, the fact that I could design and develop a section and, and run it the, the way I wanted to run it was something which... Uh, was exciting to me. It obviously would be very challenging because I would start everything from scratch. Uh, but at, at the same time, uh, you know, it, it just um, it, it gets to the point where um, it, it, these these um, opportunities present themselves. And I think um, you know, each one of us is different. We may be um, you know all highly qualified and of a certain caliber. Uh, but one may want to just go and sort of start working at a place which is already established versus, you know, start at a place where you are creating and building, uh, which is, which is a process that I enjoy a a lot. Actually, I think there is, there is tremendous growth um, as a person uh, and there is tremendous uh, insight into, into building something um, from, from ground up. Um, I um I just want to say that I think that I understand what you're saying. Um, I've worked in government, and I often say that like um, it's so much more fun to create than it is to maintain. Um, and by the way, I I do think it's how you're wired, right? Um, that there are creators um, and there are originators, and then there are people that are really good at um, you know taking something that exists and growing it and expanding it. And it kind of ties back into how you are as a person. Um, I probably, I'm, I'm biased in thinking that um, your verve, uh, your excitement around sort of creating new things um, at, uh, at Akron for um, on behalf of Cleveland Clinic probably ties into your also desire to create poetry. So, Let's talk about Ibada, um, your book of poetry, When Love Transforms into Transcendence, Life Transforms into Servitude. It's a delightful, uh, it's a little more than a chat book. Um, yeah. Do you think you could uh, take a second and read I Miss You? The glitter in your eyes, I miss you. The shimmer in your smile, I miss you. The warmth of your hands, I miss you. The belongingness of your hug, I miss you. Those long conversations, I miss you. Those weekend expeditions, I miss you. The silence of our togetherness, I miss you. Only God and the moisture in my eyes know 
how much I really miss you. Beautiful. Um, so I got a chance to uh, actually read through all of the poems and there's uh, an evident theme of um, love loss and uh, breaking up with someone. And it appears that yours was pretty bad. So without uh, being too revealing, do you think you can tell us the what happened? Like what happened, what happened with that romantic relationship and why did it end? Well, you know, um, it's, it's, so Ibada, um, I'm gonna answer that, it's, it's going to be a long-winded answer. Um, you know, um, Ibada is um, a prelude to a novel that I'm working on. Um, and the novel is, um, is about a love story amidst war that happened in 286 BC. Um, so I, I, I was born and raised in India. I grew up on uh, Hindi films uh, or, you know, Hindi film industry. A lot of people call it Bollywood. I just want to call it Hindi film industry because, you know, Bollywood is like we're imitating Hollywood and there is no reason to imitate really. Um, I think Hindi film industry, uh, you know, makes some, some really fine films. Um, and mo most, of, most of them, I mean, I think culturally Indians or India has always been, uh, you know, uh, musically inclined for lack of a better word, country or culture. Um, so there's a lot of music and uh, there's a lot of dancing into everything, you know, Indians, particularly North Indians, you know, Punjabis. I'm, I happen to be uh, a Punjabi and from North India. So well, particularly about Punjabis, Punjabis are known for their dancing, their music. Um, so um, I wanted to, when I was developing the novel, I wanted to develop a musical, um, you know, because I was foreseeing that at some point in time I would be able to transition this into um, a, a movie. Um, so that, that's how I was envisioning when I was, when I was, when I began to write a novel. And I, I started writing these short proses or poems. Um, so, you know, to, to answer your question, uh, I was designing a fiction uh, and, you know, obviously the experience that I was sharing was experience of love and loss. Um, and I think it is, is an experience which um, is, is prevalent um, and shared by many. And uh, I felt that I had to write about it the way I interpreted it, if that makes sense. Uh, not necessarily through my own personal shared experiences, uh, but through experiences that, that I've had um, seen very closely, you know, both um, you know, in personal life and also um, as a physician. Um, actually, one of my uh, research, um, one of my scientific research areas when I was training as a general cardiology fellow in Minneapolis um, was uh, broken heart syndrome or Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. Takotsubo is a Japanese word. It, it means uh, an octopus trap. And what, what actually happens is the heart conforms into a shape of an octopus trap and patients present as if they're having a heart attack, but they don't have any blockages in the blood vessels that run on the surface of the heart. But if you take a look at the, uh, at the heart itself, so if you take a look at the architecture of the heart muscle and how the heart chamber is appearing, um, it actually conforms into a shape of an octopus trap. Um, 
and and that has been that that has a scientific term associated with it there's a diagnosis associated with it it's called broken heart syndrome um and you know that can happen with severe emotional stress or distress and it can actually happen with any kind of stressors it does not have to be emotional it could be physical um it could be job related it could be economic it could be financial it could be psychological um uh, you know interestingly um is something that i um that we did i should shouldn't really say i uh, but because there is a team but something that we did recently at, at Cleveland Clinic Akron General also is to look at the stress from the pandemic and its association with the prevalence of Takotsuba cardiomyopathy or broken heart syndrome in Akron and also uh, at Cleveland Clinic main campus is is uh, an is an investigation that has been conducted and completed and is undergoing peer review hopefully will be published soon uh, in a in a major in a major medical journal um so you know get, getting back to what i was discussing so these proses um were then shared by a friend who happens to be a new york times best selling author uh, who lives in minneapolis and actually uh, became a friend later on but initially was uh, the daughter of my daughter of a patient i took care of when i was training in cardiovascular diseases in minneapolis um and you know her mother interestingly had broken heart syndrome um and um you know when i showed these to her you know she said look anchor these in and of themselves uh could be put together as a series of poems um in a short collection of a poetry book um why don't you do that and i i thought that was a good idea because it was the first time i was i i do a lot of scientific writing and i i continue to do that i have done that in the past but um and i always wanted to do fiction writing um is something that i always wanted to pursue uh, for the longest time that i can remember i just didn't have the right opportune moment because you know my training was that long um you know after high school i i i trained for 17 years before i actually landed my first job at university hospitals in cleveland so um you know i, I and then the the transition phase between the two health systems gave me some downtime where i thought i i could utilize this time in pursuing a passion that i for for the longest time uh, i can remember wanted to pursue let me jump in here for a second because yeah. i was going to um really kind of ask you about sort of the authenticity in writing so mm-hmm. kind of like sort of this rule of thumb that um all writers know which is write what you know um but i think that what you're telling me here is that in writing what you know you weren't writing what you know or actually experience emotionally you were writing what you know scientifically and like transferring it to what it would look like emotionally is that right i i am an emotional person um and um and i i also i would like to believe that i'm I'm an empathetic person. Um you know meaning um if I have a close family member or a friend or a patient who um is opening up to me and going through experiences that they're describing to me then you know they affect me at a visceral level. You know I, I you know I think as physicians we have this incredible privilege of 
you know, nurturing these very special bonds with our patients, um, you know, the, these, these physician-patient relationships, which, you know, I value a lot. Um, and um, I, I, I felt that I had, the, I had the ability to then translate what was being shared with me. And, you know, in part what I've experienced in person too, uh, to something which, um, you know, I think I could put into words which people can relate to. And I, I think people who have read this work um, have, have gotten back to me and, uh, you know, have said that they find these poems very relatable, which makes me happy. Also, I'm not sure if you've realized while reading them, yes, they're coming from me. So I think one would imagine that these are my own lived experiences. Um, but what, what I tried to do was, because, you know, I think when someone is experiencing loss of love or, or loss of a relationship, not necessarily love, but any, any relationship, it, it, it's, it's a tough emotion. Um, it's, it's an emotion which is unisex, um, you know, because men are, are, are emotional too. I have to be honest with you. So when I was going through your, um, your book of poetry, I decided to read two or three of them to my 16-year-old son, right? 16-year-old mm -hmm. black boy, right? Mm -hmm. And he listened to them and he chuckled and he said, buddy got his heart broke. Um, and I don't know how much you um, experience you have with teenagers, but that was, um, that was a deeply sympathetic experience. Like it's like he, he fully understood that there was another man who out there who got his heart broke as well. It was, um, it was actually gratifying for me to see how your poetry elicited, um, as you would say, a unisex emotional response in him. Like it was very effective. Yes, and so I, it, it brought a smile to my face when you said that because as, as a writer, the only thing you wish for and you pray for is for your, your writing to come from that place inside your heart, which is the truest and the most sincere place. And then you're putting everything on paper in the sincere hope that the person who is then reading it can connect with it and, and, can, and, and can relate to it. And, and I think just, just that anecdote of you telling me that that was your teenage uh, teenager teenager son's response was, was very heartwarming for me so so thank you for sharing that with me you're welcome and let's have you share some more will you go on and uh read your poem uh, justice another poem which i really enjoyed yes oh lord where did you find the glass to weave the fibers of my heart why did you find the elastic with which you built theirs Mine was shattered into pieces so quickly, theirs bounced back without needing any repairs. You know, I was in the deepest of love. Were they just afraid or callous or mistrusting? I'd like to think they were bizarre. I deserve to know the truths and not unreasonable. O oh Lord, in your courts of justice and righteousness, just be fair. Okay, that was beautiful. Um, so, um, 
Okay, so now we know a little bit about where the place of your their poetry is coming from. So it's not necessarily coming from you, but maybe like empathetic experiences. So with this one, it appears that you wove in spirituality. So can you tell me like, why did you think that um, that, that was gonna work in this poem and what, what exactly were you saying with it? And I'm kind of thinking that you're kind of talking about like love and just like the title said, the whole thing about transcendence and being something bigger than you. Yes, uh, you know, I think um, each one of us, and I, 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 I'm saying that from the practice, from, from the spiritual practices that I, I have delved into over the past couple of years and, and, and from, from the understanding of a mystic, um, and that is that each one of us at some point in our lives will have an experience which will push the envelope and will make each one of us rise above the ebb of life and start questioning our existence. You know, who we are, where do we come from, what is our journey, where do we belong? You know, I, I think fortunately or unfortunately, the, the only route or the only uh, path to, to reaching that space is through a valley of pain. Um, now, whether that is through loss of a loved one, you know, a loss of uh, a romantic relationship, um, a loss of a friend, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be different for each one of us. Um, but I, I do think that um, I think each one of us in, 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 in terms of spiritual evolution are at different stages. And I think life throws these uh, circumstances to each one of us, depending on where we are in that stage of evolution, because I genuinely feel that. Um, and, and I think this in part also goes back to, you know, how I was born and raised and with, with, with what values do I live my life? Um, and, and that is that, you know, we are, we are born into each of our bodies um, just as, um, uh, you know, just as a spacesuit or just as a, as a new wardrobe, if you will. And then, uh, but, but our soul never dies. And I, I think the experiences that we have in life with people, uh, you know, experiences that, that matter, experiences that leave an impression, are only with people who we've met in, in past lives um, and you know, had something to share or experience or lessons that we had not learned, our, soul, our souls had not learned in past lives, um, which they will or they have to learn in this life. Um, so I think there is uh, the, only, the only time you're going to reach that space of awakening is through an experience which I think will involve a lot of emotional turmoil, a lot of emotional upheaval, but it would eventually be a transcendental experience because you will realize that, you know, if it's love, which is coming from the purest space inside your heart, which is very soulful, which is um, platonic, um, which, is, which is natural, it's, it's a gift. It, it does not really need to manifest in 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 the shape or form of a human being, or in in, in the shape in the shape or form of any living being, for that matter. 
um, I think you, I think you'll start in that fashion. I think you'll start loving someone. And if you lose that special someone, there's going to be a tremendous upheaval. Um, but that journey of being in love to just being love is a, is a transcendent, it's a transcendental journey. And I think some, some of us who are fortunate enough will experience it because, you know, I, I truly think that that journey will bring you closer to, closer to God, closer to uh, the process of awakening and realizing that, you know, our souls are reborn because there, are, there were some lessons which were left which had to be learned for us to eventually exit the cycle of life and birth and attain nirvana. Um, and so now we know that you, Ankur Kalara, are not the speaker in this poem. It's essentially, you know, it's a fictionalized character. So with all that you've said, why is the poem called Justice? Like, why is our person appealing to a higher being for fairness and, and truth and sort of a court of justice? Like, what is, like, why, why the, it, it, by the way, I, when I read it, it sounded like a prayer to me. It's, um, so in the Christian tradition, like, this would be a lamentation. So why do you think it reads like this? Why is he crying out for justice? That's that's a good question. I think that's a, that's a good um, interpretation. Um, and uh, you know, if if you actually read the lesson which is associated with with justice, you'll you'll see what I've tried to explain. And that is, pain brings me to growth and wholeness. Um, so that's that's the lesson. And I think uh, he is or she is, you know, lamenting to the higher order, what did I do that I had to go through this immense emotional turmoil, upheaval, pain? Um, and, you know, I think when, when you're sort of going through such a, a rich experience, I think you lose rationality. Um, and I think you just want to either project or find an object to blame so that you can try not to take responsibility of the emotions that you're going through. But, but I think, you know, you have to realize, or you, you will realize with time that at the, at the end of all of it, you are the, you are the sole person who is responsible for all the emotions that you're going through. You know, it, it's, it's an inner journey and you have to take control it's, it's, it's like mind over heart. And, you know, I think when someone is going through that rich of an experience, it's extremely hard to put mind above the heart. I think it's just complete upheaval of, of emotions. And um, I think in, in the heat of the moment, you are trying to blame to the other person what you are going through. You know, sort of... Um as our speaker says throughout the poems that he's like, um, um, that he, like, you know, that he wants justice and that, you know, this other person like broke his heart, but it must have been destiny and beyond um, his control because his heart was true the entire time. And 
Um, I'm putting gender in this that may not be there, but like, and then she was fickle and she simply like kind of casually walked away from him. And so he wants, you know, answers from the gods and from the ethers about how in the world he could be subject to this pain. I guess. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think you, you got that perfectly right. You know, yes, there's pain. There, there's going to be pain, right? And, but, you know, the lesson is that that will eventually bring me to a, a space of growth and wholeness. You know, it reached a lot of people. I mean, I, I, I remember getting just a lot of messages from a lot of people I just did not know. And, you know, you know people were like extremely kind, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously they would, you know, look me up and it's like, oh, he's a doctor. And then they would, you know, send me comments like, oh, the man of art and science and, you know, comments like that, you know, one, one of such comments you know, has like stuck with me for a long, long time. It's like the man of art and science is like, that's a great comment. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people said that I, I had, the words had um, a lot of power in them that they could relate, that they could connect immediately and instantly that uh, the, the poems were very, beautifully, were very beautifully written. So that was very reassuring for me. It was like heartwarming for me. You know, I think it was the, for the first time I actually really understood what it means for an artist's work to be appreciated because, um, you know, we sort of take, I, I, I personally don't, but I know that a lot of, I think in general, in medicine, maybe, uh, maybe I, I don't want to misrepresent anyone, but I think maybe in general in medicine, gratitude is taken for granted. Um, you know, just because we are... You know, I, I truly believe that as physicians or, you know, as operators, as surgeons, as interventional cardiologists, we are in a position of tremendous privilege to touch lives in ways and fashion that, you know, people who do not um, do procedures or do not perform life-saving procedures on a day-to-day -day basis for a living uh, get to do. So, you know, I, I think if you do that again and again, uh, like on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not for me, but, and I don't think it is for my colleagues either. I don't want to misrepresent anyone, but I think maybe gratitude may be taken for granted. Um, but I think art gratitude, is... Gratitude from the patient or gratitude from the physician? Gra gratitude, from, gratitude from the patient, you know, like, okay, this patient ought to be grateful just because I ended up saving his or her life. But you know, that's really interesting because the uh, the interview that I just did before yours with um, uh, her name is Dr. Louise Prochaska, and she uh -huh. wrote a book about happiness. And she said that one of the um, keys to happiness is gratitude, like constantly remembering how grateful you are. And so she wrote a workbook. And um, and so then one of the workbook exercises is write a letter to someone to whom you are grateful. And she has kind of like a list of people you could write to. And one of them was write to your physician. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And I was thinking, yeah, you know, like I have, I have two sons, but I frankly had two very complicated pregnancies mm -hmm. and I am tremendously grateful to my obstetrician. Mm -hmm. Like every time those boys have a birthday, I'm grateful to my obstetrician, mm -hmm. but you know what? I don't think I've ever told them that. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, I've been, I've been extremely fortunate in, in, in having extremely grateful patients who have been very kind. I, I actually, you know, I, I've showed these, 
the cards that, that, that they've written and the, the stories that they've written, uh, you know, about, about my care, I've shared them with my wife and, you know, my wife is like, boy, like, you know, people actually have, have taken the time to sit down, get a card, write it and, you know, write it so eloquently and actually just, you know, just, just give it to you. I think I said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's moving. So, you know, I, I, ta- I, I, I feel incredibly grateful and incredibly privileged to be in a position where, uh, l- like literally, um, I'm there when they're losing their life or about to lose their life and, and I'm able to intervene and, and literally in front of my eyes, you know, completely alleviate the, the pain that they're experiencing from their heart attacks. I think, I think is one of the most gratifying experiences I have, on, you know, on, literally on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so for that, I am and will be forever grateful to, to God to give that opportunity to me in this life that I have a fellow human being who's that grateful to me. I, I, I hope I've, I mean, I've tried to do my best to explain what I go through as a, as a physician taking care of these patients. Is I, I mean, I obviously feel, I feel incredibly responsible. I, uh, there are moments where, which are, which are nerve wracking. You, you know, there are moments which have a lot of adrenaline and, and sweat and, because um, you know patients are not all like these are literally patients who would otherwise lose their lives and many a times they're unstable they're not stable um, so you know to be able to hold yourself and maintain calm and focus and be able to then do what you're supposed to do and get them out of that that moment in their lives i think is just is just something which has a lot of privilege associated with it but you know, if it if it occurs to you on a day to day basis, you may start taking it for granted. You may start focusing on aspects of life which are not as perfect for you, um, unfortunately. But I think as an artist, it gave me the 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 appreciation that you know that's what artists they crave for. You know, they they want um, their work to resonate, and they want their work to serve a. a a purpose I, I, I'm assuming, you know, on, on the planet, you know, for me, the purpose of putting, putting these poems together and, and sharing them was to, to connect with, to be able to connect with people who are going through, through these emotions and, and sort of, you know, share the lessons that if, if the poem is a reaction, then, you know, just hold your thought because these reactions are, have deeper meaning and and lessons for you. That's all. Let's talk about let's talk about you as a writer, a writer of scientific work and a writer of poetry. So, with that, can you describe to me your favorite writing location? Um, so, at my house, there is a room that I have designated for all kinds of writing. It's, uh, it's, it's fairly secluded. Um, I, I actually, ha- you know, I, I delve a little bit in Vedic mathematics. Um, and so I did um, some Vedic uh, geometry, and, you know, to align, you know, the, the east and the west and where the sun rays would come from in the morning. And accordingly choose a, a place which would 
from a Vedic perspective. Now, you know, Vedic science dates back several thousands of years, but Vedic, math, Vedic mathematics is still quite prevalent in traditional Hindu households. Um, and it uses actually, it's, it, it's, got, it, it's got a scientific basis to it. It, it uses um, the calculations from the geometric angles and correlates them with the angles that the sun rays would make once there is sunrise and sunset to come up with a unique geographic location which, in which you would be the most connected to your inner self and in alignment with the universe for you to be able to write from the purest space in your heart. Um, so I actually went through the exercise of designating a place in my house which could be used for you know, writing, whether it's scientific writing or whether it's abstract fiction or poetry writing. That was absolutely amazing. Um, the yeah. next question is, what three people, living or dead, would you invite to a dinner party? That, so that, that's, an, that's an interesting question. Um, so one would be, um, um, if it was not for an anonymity and embarrassment, I would have named a few of my personal friends and, and, and family members, for that matter. So Mahatma Gandhi is going to be one. Um, Sachin Tendulkar, he's uh, like, for example, what uh, LeBron James is to, to the U.S. and to Akron and to Ohio. You know, Sachin Tendulkar is to India and to the world and to the world of cricket. And then uh, the third one is Albert Einstein. I find it interesting that you would pick Einstein. Um, why is that? Well, um, I really don't know that much about him, right? But he seems to me far more one-dimensional than you are. Well, you know, I think so. The, um, but the choices are like I've picked, a, I've picked a person of science, I've picked a person of um, spirituality and, and, and politics. And, um, you know... I would see you going with Da Vinci. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe Michael, or maybe. Yeah, I don't know, but I, it's your it's your dinner party. Yeah. <laughs> and then. Well, that's very kind of. Yeah. All right, I think that that's a wrap. Unless there's another one of those questions you really wanted me to ask you. No, I, I mean I think this was I think this is one of the most fun interviews I've done. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, it's it's you've you've touched upon some incredible aspects I think of me and, and my life and, and my writing, which I don't think anyone else has. So I thank you for thinking so deeply about this conversation. And honestly, you um, uh, are back and forth over the past few months. You have been an absolute pleasure. And um, I remember when you called me when you um, got sick, I have to say that um, I was really touched by your fragility at that moment. Like you were, you were worried that you had COVID-19. Yes. I can hear it in your voice. Mm -hmm. I, I take it you ultimately didn't have it. Yeah, well, you know, I, 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 it was, I was sick at the time when this was not that big of a deal. So I may have, I may have had it, that, but I don't know about it because by the time everyone knew about it and everybody, you know, was testing, I, I was, I was completely recovered. Um, 
but you know, in retrospect, I may have had it actually, because this was like late February, early March. Yes, it was yeah. late February, early March, mm-hmm. before everyone had been notified that this is a really big deal. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I may have had it. Uh, mm-hmm. The only way I'm going to find it if I get tested for antibodies, which I haven't gotten tested yet, but you know, I don't feel the need to acutely anyways. So yeah. Thank you. All right. Um, thank you very much. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Loganberry Books is open to the public Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can order books from us at store.loganberrybooks.com with specific links to the books discussed in this episode in the description. You can also order from us by calling the store directly at 216-795-9800 or emailing books at logan.com with your specific requests. You can support us by purchasing through our affiliate pages on bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash Loganberry Books, loganberry.papertrail.com for digital ebooks, or on libro.fm for all your audiobook needs. Join our listener support program where you can donate as little as 99 cents a month, less than $12 a year to help keep this podcast going. Again, all of these options will be linked in the description below. This episode of Lines from Loganberry was produced and edited by Margie Adams. Be sure to tune in next week for more bookish content, and thanks for listening.